Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Gara. Marler, we already. We so we're we are revisiting one of your deepest old roots, and it's old, like nine years old now. Um, but we're doesn't doing it. Like it. We're doing it because it is unofficially our uh, unofficially slash officially our two hundredth episode of the SDS podcast. There's a lot of things that I wanted to celebrate uh, with the two hundredth episode. Um, almost none of them were involved in the actual episode. So if you can read the title of the episode, we have Stephen Garcia on. We just recorded an interview with him that was so much fun. Um, it was painful, fun for me, painful for you. Um, that's the best way to describe at least some of it. I mean, Stephen Garcia, I've, I've always said, is my absolute favorite SEC player ever. Not like non-Bama player. Because I feel like there's a lot of me in that young man. Um, mainly because of drinking and facial hair. Regardless. Yeah, you guys kind of look alike now. Well, that's not a compliment. Thanks, man. Um, like his playing days, he's trucking people nonstop. No, like the beard. I'm, I'm just saying. Like I'm, I'm, I, I can see your face right now. Like I feel like you guys share some, you know, somewhat similar physical traits. I hope he's listening to this. Um, I appreciate that. I'm gonna. That's the nice thing you ever said to me, Connor. Thank you. Um, I don't want to tear up yet because I already had to tear up so many times uh, revisiting this game, the 2010 South Carolina Alabama game, which Connor had just somehow <laughs> forgotten about and was just, you should have heard him. No, 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 not forgotten. Forgotten, needed to revisit. Those are different. Either way. He was so excited to tell me all of the cool little things he had seen from re-watching the game tape. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I got it, yeah. It's like stubbing my toe nonstop. That's what I felt like for 30 minutes. We're going to talk a lot about 2010 Bama at South Carolina because this year, of course, Bama travels back to South Carolina. So we, we're trying to just get out ahead of it a little bit with some of this conversation. But I'm on step I was, nine of my program, so I have to I have to <laughs> technically do this. See, here's here's the difference. Like you remember that day so well. Like I was obviously like half joking because I rewatched the game a couple days ago or yesterday, I guess I was. Um, I rewatched the game and like I was telling you just oh like little God. moments in that game. And it's funny because you without having rewatched it, like basically have the play by play in your brain of this game that you've probably tried to to get out of your memory for the last decade now. Um, I think that's fair to say. But for me, it was different because it was one of those things where like I, I was trying to think back, I'm like, where was I this day watching? Because I remember watching the end of it, and then like obviously like you see the highlights and all that stuff. That day I witnessed in person Terrell Pryor's greatest moment as a football player Did he sell when he was at Ohio State. Uh, he like lit up Indiana for like 50 points at the horseshoe. But that's where I was that day. And it was one of those games where I remember because it was the CBS game, you know, Bama, South Carolina, and they flipped it on. And everybody's like, what in the world? Like, is this happening? When it was like 21 to 3, they flipped it on. Everybody's kind of like looking up. You're like, oh, this, this is going to happen. South Carolina the whole time, I'm sure. So it's fun for me to like revisit this moment. Yeah. It's like somebody that doesn't have a, a dog in the fight. I, I but... will say that's what you just said. I'm not even trying to pick on you. What you just said is the the staunch difference in yep. SEC and Big Ten football is that you mm-hmm. there will never be a podcast, which is like I'm not I don't need to set the bar that low, but there will never be a game between Ohio State and Indiana that they are still remembering nine years ago and, and like whoa 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 oh, whoa God, whoa 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 you are you are dead wrong on that because everybody in Iowa City is going to remember Ohio State getting whooped by Iowa a couple years ago everybody in West Indiana. Lafayette oh yeah yeah against Indiana yeah yeah no you're you're yeah, absolutely right about that saying. don't oh, you okay. bring I any other teams to this 
I thought you were saying just against a lesser Big Ten team, like you were making the Bama-South Carolina comparison. No. Okay, I, I get what you're saying there. It was, it was. I remember where I was that day, and we'll talk about it, and um, I remember how the day ended with a lot of yelling and uh, irrational reactions, um, a lot of drinking. It's fine. We'll deal with it. We'll get to that more later. We have a lot this episode to get to. Um, we have some we're going to talk about some program changing wins of the 21st century um just i'll write along the lines of south carolina 2010. i had to talk um, them into that guys so i could talk about <laughs> some good things from about bama we have the nba draft is on thursday yes thursday so we're gonna briefly hit on a couple little things we're not we're not basketball guys like let's let be you honest do that, we, yeah yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, just some things that I thought are interesting, some things that SEC fans as a whole might be looking at. And then the first thing, though, that we got to hit on Phil Steele's bowl projections came out. And, you know, this is preseason magazine season. Everybody's excited for it. Everybody's, you know, every, you get that magazine, you rip it open, you can't wait to see what he's saying about your team, blah, blah, blah. And there are a whole lot of SEC fan bases yep. that are not happy. Uh, well, just one's, one. one specifically that is more unhappy than the rest. And don't you know it? It's Florida fans. I know this will because shock you, but Florida fans overreacted online again. Phil Steele, the same guy who said in 2017 that Florida was a sleeper national title contender, two years later, coming off a New Year's Six Bowl victory, Phil Steele has Florida in the, wait for it, the Liberty Bowl. The Liberty Bowl. I mean, wait, that's that's Memphis. No, is that? Yeah, it's Memphis. That's not Shreveport. Yeah, Shreveport's the Independence Bowl. Yeah. Let's get our... Yeah, let's get our. I mean, no offense, Florida straight. fans, but the way you treated us this offseason, you kind of deserve a trip to Shreveport. Um, I thought this Whoa. was a little bit low, to be honest. The, the the projection, we'll get into all of them, but I was, I don't want to say I was shocked because nothing shocks me with Florida, Georgia, or Tennessee fans on Twitter anymore. But when I got the Phil Steel magazine, as I'm holding it up to you right now, as we Facetime, I was so excited. I smelled it for no reason. Yeah, why did you do that? I don't I mean I don't do it consistently. You have to say it like that. But I, I was so excited. I was at Books A Million in Lexington. I was like, oh my gosh, it's out. Like that, this is my favorite preseason magazine. Um, and I posted, I was like, it's like Christmas morning. Whenever the new, uh, what, what do you call it? Like the new Phil Steele magazine comes out. And there were a lot of Gator fans that did not like him. He's a sweet man. He's an innocent little guy he with is. his mustache. Actually, I don't know if he's little. I just, I, I assume that he's like average size yeah phil Steele's one of those guys that has looked the exact same for the last 30 years and you know you can assume that that he acts a probably a, a certain way but like interesting that i think as we look at these bull projections all but three fan bases in the sec would be upset all but four okay so i'm going to list them off real quick if you have not seen these in the playoff phil Steele has two sec teams he has Alabama facing Michigan, and he has Georgia facing Clemson. In the New Year's Six, he also has LSU facing Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. This is where it gets a little bit dicey. The one other fan base that I think would be like kind of okay with this bowl game would be Mizzou facing Wake Forest in the Music City Bowl because, hey, as of right now, Mizzou is, has a postseason ban, yeah. so they'd be really happy. Um, and that's actually like not that bad of a bowl, 8-9 win teams, whatever. Gator Bowl, Mississippi State against Wisconsin. Outback Bowl, Auburn, Michigan State, Liberty Bowl, Florida against Texas Tech, which that, that might be the worst part about it it's, is that it everybody is. Texas Tech is like the perennial six win team. It's the least it's the least sexy matchup out of all of them. And I and oh. I mean sexy because Cliff Kingsbury's gone, so True, good point. The Belk Bowl, your favorite bowl. Um AM facing NC State. Riveting uh, stuff. Two years in a row. Um 
Texas Bowl, Tennessee against Oklahoma State, and then your fa- your actual favorite bowl in your favorite place in the world, Ooh. Shreveport, Louisiana, the Independence Bowl, South Carolina, Boston College. So, Yikes. before we hit on on those teams, actually, you know what? We can we can hit on just that first because the four teams that are left out of this: Kentucky, Ole Miss, Vandy, Arkansas. Kentucky. We think Kentucky is missing a bowl game for the first time in four years after they just had the best season in four decades. I don't see. I, I don't know if they're going to have ten wins, but I don't yeah. think it means. I mean, he, he like Mark Soups has has improved his record every single year that he's been there. They've won twenty four games the last three seasons. They've won seven, seven, then ten. They have Toledo, Eastern Michigan, Florida, Mississippi State, and South Carolina to open the season. That's not. And then they got that's Ar- nine wins right there. That's exactly. Um, I don't I mean I don't know. Like I don't know how the, the season's going to play out. Like who's going to be like this whole strength of schedule thing that we talked about. Like I don't know how difficult their schedule is going to be. I don't think it's that far fetched. But then again, I was the idiot last year that said they were going to go five and seven. You were, and I was as well. Thank so you. I can't even. I, I'm not. I'm not even going to lie. I wasn't believing in Kentucky last year. I'm believing in a much more this year. Interestingly enough, right before. Um, right before we came on, Vince Morrow, who's the longtime uh, Kentucky associate head coach, he's the recruiting coordinator, he went on Kentucky Sports Radio and basically said, like, hey, the national media is pissing me off. Didn't reference Phil Steele, probably should have, uh, but referenced somebody putting, uh, like, uh, Terry Wilson as their worst quarterback in the SEC. You had um, him with, like, 13th? I had, no, no, I had him 10th, 10th or 11th. Right. Um, no, I definitely had him, didn't have him 10th because that was... That wasn't Malik Willis. No, he was mind. eight. Oh, yeah, he was eight. Um, um, no, but I and I've also just had a column that came out today, basically saying like I'm starting to believe more in, in Terry Wilson, Uncle Terry um, Wilson, because we found out that he was injured for like seven games last year. He came out and said that. So um, basically, Kentucky fans, if if you're looking at this, like you're frustrated because yeah. I get I get why people right now are kind of you know dismissing that program because you lose Josh Allen, you lose Benny Snell, and you lose all those guys in the NFL, and it's like, okay, well, you're going to go back to being Kentucky. But I think at this point, some of the preseason stuff with Mark Stoops has just gone too far, and I think it it gets to a certain point where you just got to say, okay, it doesn't matter how many four stars they have on their roster. Like The guys obviously have been able to tap into whatever sort of like us-against-the-world thing that they need, and we're not just saying that's because we have had Mark Stoops on this well, podcast we're not where he's expressed it. that. One of us is saying that. Yeah. But, like... I get it, and I'd be frustrated too if I looked and wow, like people don't even think we're going to a bowl game after you, right. you just won ten games. That's that seems a little ridiculous. No, I totally get the frustration. I mean, you walk through their schedule though: Toledo, Eastern Michigan. That's those are two wins, right? Florida, that's a toss up. At Mississippi State, toss up. At South Carolina, I know they beat them five years in a row. That's still a toss up. Arkansas, that's a win. Georgia, Mizzou, that's a loss and maybe a toss up. Tennessee. At Vandy and then UT Martin and Louisville. That's a lot of toss-ups. Is what I see. I mean, about. I see five for sure wins, but it's one of those things where, like, and I'm not saying it's in a rude way because I I love like the the whole Kentucky program. I love Cash Daniel. I love Mark Soups. He's hilarious, and it's incredible what he's been able to build there, especially at being such a basketball school. But let's be realistic. Also, like the SEC East has been really really down with some of like the traditional powers over the past three to five years. So I think he's been able to take advantage of that when you have a couple of those programs kind of coming back up. I mean, Georgia's not slowing down at all. 
But like, here's the thing I would say to that is, you know, Georgia and Florida just won double-digit games, and Kentucky did too. Yeah. You know, so, like, there's there's room for, for another team in, in that division. And that, that was, you know, in a season where Mizzou could have finished with nine wins, yeah. you know, had they been able to get the job done in the bowl game. But, I mean, I'd love to see know, it. I, I agree with what you're saying. So Florida, though. Let's picture a scenario in which Florida goes to the Liberty Bowl. Florida fans thought I was bad for saying that the team might go five and three or six and two in against the SEC. Liberty Bowl is like you're saying seven wins, basically. Yeah, I mean, is that well, about I mean, right? I, I was like, it's weird because like as soon as I read, I was like, Liberty Bowl. What is that? Like eight and four, and then I just scanned to the right and it was like versus Texas Tech. What is that? Like seven and five, six and six. I mean, I've been I've said several times I don't think Florida is going to be as good as they were last year, but that schedule is pretty soft. I don't I don't think you're going to be able to see too much of a step back in terms of wins and losses. And, yeah, like a team that is topped, I think they're like 26 in the country in terms of percentage of returning production coming off of a New Year's Six Bowl victory. Like, you know, like I said, I I said kind of tempered the expectations. Florida has bigger hurdles to get over before it's just Florida and Georgia. But, yeah, to me, like – uh, that that's tough to to look at and and think yeah that's a realistic scenario and then the other one I know A and M schedule is difficult but we've gone too far in the other way with this that team is still talented to say that they're going to the Belk Bowl like I look at that and you know I, I could if if I'm doing bowl projections today A and M has Outback Bowl written all over it to me just missing a New Year's Six Bowl like being in that nine win category but the thing is. A&M is going to get the benefit of the doubt because of that schedule. Because yeah. when you have Clemson, when you have Bama, when you have Georgia, and you got to face all three of those teams. Oh, by the way, you got to face LSU as well. Right. You're going to get the benefit of the doubt if you're an eight or a nine-win team. And even if you only think that they're going to be an eight-win team, an eight-win team with that good of a schedule is probably going to have some better offers than the Belk Bowl. I would agree with that. I mean, like, I, I, first off, I think the Belk Bowl's not a bad bowl. I think eight and four. You love the but I just so love their Twitter handle. But I mean, <laughs> so great. but if if they go eight and four, I I completely agree with what you're saying. They would deserve to be in a better bowl game than another eight and four Mississippi State, who's in the Gator Bowl, I think, in the projection. But again, I don't mean to be like Debbie Downer, but I think that's a fair projection for A and M with that schedule, seven and five or eight and four, because it's not like last year where you had them at home. You get Bama at home, but you got a lot of these on the road: Georgia, Clemson, LSU. I haven't come out with my uh, crystal ball projections that I do. And I think we might even be doing a little bit something extra with that. That's a little tiny tease for potential plans for us, something that we're doing down the road with predicting SEC games and stuff. And we do some of this stuff in the preseason. I will have A&M winning more than seven games. I okay. can say that. That's, like, and, how many more? Eight? Uh, somewhere in the – in terms of regular season, probably eight or nine. That's that's probably the the number that I, that I have in my head right now. Seven se- just seems like too low, just way too low for that team. They they're still really talented coming off of a nine win season where you return your starting quarterback, you return one of the, uh, somebody that we agreed was one of the best coaches in college football. Yeah, I agree with even that. though he left Florida State, obviously in, in in shambles, but still he still has a good roster that he has inherited, and there are still a lot of pieces there. And you retain Mike Elko. I just that 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 to me is like looking at the schedule a little bit too much and getting a little bit too caught up in it. I mean, I will say that I think it's important to look at that schedule because it's the most difficult schedule. In the country. You have to, right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and like I was thinking about this today, like looking back on AM season, not to discount anything they did in year one at Jimbo, but that seven overtime game against LSU, if they lose that game, what are they on the season? 
they would have had seven regular season wins. So they win that game, and then they win. They beat NC State, right. of course, in the, in the Gator Bowl, so they get to nine wins that way. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, that's – you know, a lot of these things are, you know, the difference between seven and nine wins or something like yeah. that. So for a team like Tennessee, I've I've kind of changed my thinking with Tennessee as this offseason has progressed. Because you're welcome. I, no, no, okay, not, not necessarily in like a I'm all in on Tennessee way, but – I think that with Tennessee, the more I think about it, with this schedule, a very favorable schedule. Next to Arkansas, there's not a there's not a weaker non-conference slate in the SEC right. than what Tennessee has ahead this year. I think that as long as you get to six wins, if you're a Tennessee fan, try not to get too caught up in the win total. Agreed. Try not to do not set this number of Jeremy Pruitt needs to win eight games this year. Like, I know that we've talked about expectations for Tennessee in year two, and we do this always with young coaches, and and I'm guilty of this as well. But the more I think about it, as long as your team gets to six wins, even if it is playing in the Texas Bowl, as Phil Steele projects, look for other things with this team because there there can be a mirage of an eight-win season. There have been a lot of those in the Power Five in the last few years where a team or a, you know a coach in his second year has had that like you know that nice year two spike where all of a sudden like they're winning eight nine games and at the same time there are there's some cracks in the foundation right. and this schedule and with what they return they return the most production of any power in, five yeah. team in the country th- there is a lot of areas where you could have a mirage type season and win eight games but that that to me would be falling into a trap if I'm a Tennessee see. Fan. I disagree because I think I think the mirage of a season was was last year, and you know we're gonna talk about this a little bit later about the um, you know program defining wins or season defining wins like from different teams. You look at Tennessee's schedule last year; they had they had two of them on the road at Auburn, who was a preseason top ten team, and then you know beating Kentucky. And I understand what Kentucky was coming off the Georgia loss, but that's a big win for a program like Tennessee. Now the cracks in the foundation are not being able to beat Vanderbilt. And, and doing things like one. six turnovers against Florida and just getting embarrassed in, in games like that. So I think they're going to grow a lot more in, in year two than people are giving Pruitt credit for. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm never going to say I'm excited to watch Tennessee football as a Bama fan. But I, I think they're going to be really good this year. I, I mean, and I, I think that eight wins is like – six wins like is, is correct. Like what you're saying is right. Like they need to get to a bowl, get those 15 extra practices, all those things you help develop a program – but I don't think eight wins is out of the question. No, and I don't either. And I'm not saying that that, that eight wins would be like a failure or anything right. like that. I'm just saying look beyond just the win total. Don't set this don't set this win total and say, all right, this is a success. This is where we need to be at. Right. There are a lot of things that they can do really, really well and only win six games. Yeah. And there are, at the same time, there are a lot of things that even if they win eight games, this schedule allows for a lot of those mistakes to kind of, you know, for them to be able to overcome some of them just because of, like I said, what they have returning right. as well. So. Yeah, I mean, these poll projections, we're going to see a whole lot of these. But this, I, I looked at this and I'm like, man, of the 14 SEC teams, I bet 10 of them are upset with this. I mean, I was fine with it. I don't want to play Clemson again. But, I, I you know, <laughs> I, I looked at, I kind of like compared them to last year. He, he had Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. He had Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl. That wasn't that far off. He had Florida in the Gator Bowl. Um, Mississippi State did play in the Outback Bowl. He did have LSU in the Liberty Bowl. So maybe... Oh, there you go, Florida. Maybe that's why. Uh, that's, All a, right. that's a good sign. I don't know. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that like it's weird in the SEC because there's... I don't want to say there's so much parity because it is, it is still top-heavy. But when you look at teams like Tennessee or even Missouri, who I think Missouri could take a real big step forward this year, 
you look at their schedule and you're like, okay, they could beat this team, this team, this team. Like they're going to surprise some people, but there's still at least one or two teams in the conference on everyone's schedule. Like, nope, there's no chance Tennessee's beating Bama. There's no chance Mizzou's beating Georgia. Like, so that's that's where it's tough for like some of those teams to kind of separate themselves. Yeah, there's like four games, and this is what I've learned doing this the last couple of years. There's like four games where you look at the schedule, and it's really a coin flip about how much you believe in the coach, how much you believe in the player. When right. you really play these some of these games out, that's just kind of how it breaks down. And then like the majority of the games, you pretty much have a good idea. But maybe that's why it's tough with Kentucky because if you're so if you're not sold on Kentucky then you're just going to assume that they're going to lose all these games. And last right. year, I wasn't sold on Kentucky, so I had Kentucky winning five games. And, you know, that's just those coin flip games you're not going to give to them, even though they're not necessarily against Bama right. or against Georgia or somebody like that. But How do you? What do you think the reaction is going to be if that third game of the year in Lexington, oh boy, Kentucky beats Florida for the second year in a row? Whew. From, from both sides, from Florida fans and Kentucky fans. Florida fans... Would you know Florida fans overlooked it last year? That they they got to the place where they felt like the progression and what they did down the stretch. If Florida loses the bowl game, if Florida lose, let's say they lose to Michigan by two touchdowns in the Peach Bowl, mm. I think it's one of those things that you look back and you scratch your head and you're like, wait a minute, are we really going in the direction that we want? Even right. if you end end the season with nine wins and going to a New Year's Six Bowl, I think something like that gets talked about more as to where now. And this would be, I think, maybe the same thing next year, depending on what happens after it. But because Florida was able to figure things out, you know, piece together some some really nice quality wins that that stand out, it overshined. Yeah. It, it really, you know, a lot of people look back and they're like, oh, it was early in the season, still right. figuring out the offense, whatever, without a couple key players, without CC Jefferson. Like, I get all that. Yeah. But it, I think it really depends on what happens after. But at the time... Yeah, Florida fans would not be feeling great, and Mark Stoops would be putting his money in this bank and that's flexing right. because that's what he does. Um, last thing I'll say is that the biggest failure out of all this, and the Citrus Bowl actually called us out on Twitter for this, there's no Citrus oh. Bowl. That's Camping World, whatever. Give me a break. Okay, first off, it's been a tie-in for the SEC since like you were a baby. Okay, but I'm, I live here, so I can say that. That doesn't make any... Okay, first off, we're not going to call the Citrus Bowl the Camping World Bowl. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to. Oh, my God. I agree. I'm okay. He's I'm okay with that. I, I want to call it the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. It's been the Citrus Bowl since, what, like 1930? I doubt that, Connor. I don't think they've been it's going been, to Orlando for that long. Look it up. The Citrus Bowl is ancient. Is it Absolutely really? ancient. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. It's one of the oldest stadiums in the country. Yeah, it's, it's very, very old. I know Orlando sounds like... Doesn't sound like a place that would have that, but yeah, surprisingly enough, it does. Fair enough. Uh, right on I-4. All right, the NBA draft is Thursday. We are not big NBA guys, but that is okay. A couple things that I just wanted to flow, throw out there that I think is, is worth keeping in mind because, let's be honest, it's June. You're going to flip it on. You're going to watch the NBA draft, and there's going to be SEC players taken this year. You're shaking your head no. I know you're going to actually watch it. You will. I, I hate the do. NBA offseason. Yeah, it's. Um, I think this offseason is... Very, very interesting with all free agents, but that's a different discussion for a different time. There's a stat about Kentucky that I don't even know if the average person realizes, like how just how bad it is. Everybody knows it's it's bad, but like the, to the extent. I looked this up and I found that from 2008 to 2018, Kentucky had 25 lottery players. That's a lot. That's like two a year, yeah. right? The rest of the SEC combined in that stretch. Had six. That means Kentucky accounted for 76% 
of the SEC's lottery picks. A lottery pick is 1 through 14. And they ain't going to a bowl game? <laughs> Just for a little bit, bit of perspective on that, Duke only had 11 lottery picks in that stretch, 46% of the ACC's. Mm. Only two of the top seven picks from the SEC weren't from Kentucky. So... That's going to that's going to be different this year though because Darius Garland as we you know the Vanderbilt guard who was basically like the 2018 version of Kyrie Irving um, we think that he is going to be picked in the top 6. That's that's at least what everybody seems to be suggesting um, even though Vanderbilt was horrendous historically horrendous, horrendous. this year. Um, if no PJ Washington, Tyler here or Keldon Johnson are taken in the lottery which is realistic they could yeah. you know one of them could move up you never know. It'd be the first time in the Calipari era that Kentucky did not have a player picked in the lottery. The conversation that, that I'm trying to get to is we have talked a lot about SEC basketball as a whole, taking this next yeah. step. Does the draft really matter in showing that? No. I, it's, I don't it's think it's it does. Individual. Right, right. Because it's weird in in, in the NFL, in the NFL draft, we throw out that draft stat a lot yeah. because it's really good and it shows, okay, this is all you need to see. Yeah. You know, the development and the coaching, it's there. If you're producing this much NFL talent, it's not by accident. Something like that is really strong. But it's weird because I went back and I looked at some of the numbers for the amount of SEC players taken in each draft. And I think there's, I actually think there's a good chance that they're going to hit double digits this year. There's going to be a lot of those like late first round into the mid second round type of guys. And it might not necessarily be a bunch of lottery guys. It might only be like, you know, one or two lottery guys from the SEC. But the SEC has actually had like relatively average numbers and better than I thought, I guess, overall in the draft. Mm. And I guess what I'm asking you is like, let's say the SEC has 12 guys picked, which would match the most taken. Um, by the conference in this this decade. Does that matter? Like, should no. we actually care about that? I'll make a graphic for Instagram for it. That's about it. There you go. I mean, there so my I don't really I don't really think it's that big of a deal. And I'm not trying to be hypocritical or um what's the word I'm looking here for what's what I'm looking for here, Connor? Uh contradicting. Your, your um, there it is. Uh no like contradictory and like talking about, you know, the NFL draft picks. I think it's different. When when you have, you know, that talent stays home. Like those those recruits that grew up in the southeast and and you know predominantly go to SEC schools because there's more dominant and blue blood football programs in the SEC. You don't have that in basketball. So most of the athletes, if they do come from the southeast, are usually going somewhere else. I mean basketball in general. If you're a top twenty five kid, you're going to Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Wichita State. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't think I'm much more impressed with the fact that the teams that the SEC had last year and what they were able to accomplish versus one player being drafted. Right. Because right. the, the NBA draft makes no sense to me anyway, because there's only two rounds. If you get drafted like after 23, you're going straight to the D League, and apparently there's a G League now. I, it's the, just the G League. They, they changed the name. Uh, why? What? Okay, that's fine. They didn't throw out any other letters? No, maybe they'll change it in a few years to like the A League. That'd, that'd be, be cool. cool. Yeah. Although that kind of gets confusing with like AAA baseball. And, and the that. NBA. But yeah, sure. Um no, but I just I think that really doesn't do it for me. Like I, I want to see guys like I don't know. I thought Ben Simmons was gonna be great in the NBA. As somebody that's gambled on him a lot, he's not. Um, I, I if there was like a, a transcendent player like Zion that was in the SEC, that would be cool to watch. But for the most part, I, I mean, I don't think it's that impressive. It's only two rounds, and most yeah, of the kids never it, even make it. 
yeah, two years ago, the SEC only had four draft picks in the entire draft. If that if that was something that like if it was only four guys in the SEC that get picked every year, I think that'd be more noteworthy. But when you actually like sit here and look at the numbers, yeah, it is such a crapshoot. And I don't really think, you know, we're not going to be like, oh, the SEC had fourteen players taken this year, and all of a sudden like this means the SEC is the best conference. Or it's, I'll like, probably it's just say not that, gonna yeah. work like that. Okay, yeah, yeah but I mean, like, if you're media. if you're comparing apples and oranges, like I, I would much rather have somebody. You know, like Grant Williams, I think that like where he goes in the draft would be a lot more interesting than somebody like Grayson Allen. Why you hate Grayson Allen? What did he ever do? I don't like his hair or his attitude. He trips people. Allegedly. He definitely did that. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, it does not really matter as much to me. I you mean, I've told you this before. I really don't like the NBA offseason. It really pisses me off. It's all, all right, we so hear let's... about on, on ESPN. On that note, let us move on from basketball. And another thing. <laughs> This is an idea that you threw out there uh, that that I that I like that I think is very topical with what we're going to be discussing with Stephen Garcia. Program changing wins of the 21st century for SEC teams. We started off and a little peel behind the onion here. So I'm like, let's do like three or four or something like that a piece. Like, and you you even said like, yeah, you're like, we don't want to do one for every SEC team. I look up five minutes later and you have 11 of these down. Yeah, we're both in this Google document at the same time. Connor's in here. Like, trying to type over my letters is very confusing. You have 11 of these down. So, basically, who are the SEC teams you didn't come up with one for? Um, Florida, because they're going to go to the Liberty Bowl. Um, oh, actually, I didn't do one for Florida. Shoot. That's not good. Uh, I think F- Florida's tough. So, we're talking about this in the 21st century. I think that you would probably have to go back. Gosh, would you even go back to, like, the national championship against Ohio State was really where it all like. I mean, I know that's that's that like awesome. kind of an obvious one, but that was the one where like because Florida was heavy underdog in that heavy game. Heavy underdog. And Florida and Ted loses Ken that Jr. Game. ran that opening kickoff back. Yeah. I mean, they, that was the that was the year they kept talking about Ohio State and Michigan getting a rematch because that forty nine forty two game and right, Troy right. Smith won the Heisman for some reason. I mean, yeah, yeah that, that could be a pretty good, good. one. Um, uh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, so why don't you? Run through run through yours of basically every SEC team, sans Florida, except we just did Florida. Well, I mean, you made me talk about all that hate in my heart with the 2010 game. So you, you have, you've got Vandy from you've got Vandy from 2016. Has yeah. Vandy's program been changed from 2016? You set the rules. You said we couldn't go behind or uh, before 2010. That's why I said you didn't have to come up with one for every team. Unbelievable. Um, sorry, I enjoy my football. <laughs> so basically, we're talking about like like when I think of like program changing wins. I obviously what happened with like South Carolina, like that will never be forgotten. That'll probably be the biggest win in program history for, for decades to come. Um, for Alabama, for me, it's the blackout game against Georgia. And I'm not saying it's a pick on Georgia fans. It's just that like you go from the season before when they were seven and six and had the terrible end of the season. Um, and Georgia, you know, came in to 2008, I think as the preseason number one. And I remember like saying this to my dad, like the night before the game, I was like, tomorrow, we're going to go out, we're going to do this, this, and this, and I think this is going to be the turning point of the entire program. And for once in my life, I was right. That was pretty cool. Um, pat on the back for that one. But also with UGA, it's also the blackout game versus Auburn in 2007, or I'd say one of the Florida games from either 2007 when they beat them, uh, that was Tebow's year, and they like had the entire team dance on the field, uh, or 2012 when Jordan Reed, I think his name is, was it Jordan Reed? Tight end, yeah. Yeah, uh, fumble, go through the end zone. Right. So, I mean, I, I think this the 2007 Auburn game, that was like I felt like Georgia's like coming out party almost like to the national stage. Like this is like a fun, 
awesome program that seemed like everybody was like on board with no shot on all those guys. Uh, Kentucky, LSU, 2007. Okay. I would have gone Kentucky, Florida, 2018. That's fair. I mean, 2007 was before 2018, so that's what I'd say. Probably changed the program. That's whatever. Um, yeah. LSU, A&M, 2016, where Darius Geis ran for like 280,000 yards. Or last year. I mean, I'm strictly saying this from like a Coach O standpoint. Auburn to Georgia from 2018. We forget how badly they beat Georgia that game. Like a drum. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Mississippi State at LSU 2014 with Dak Prescott. That's a good one. They ended up winning yeah. like three games in a row against ranked teams. And they became like the first. They were ranked number one in the, the first ever. Yes. Yeah. I like that too because that is more of like a. We have. Like, there's a national view of what our ceiling yeah. is, and we have just blown through that. Right. That, to me, is what I think of when I think of, like, a program-changing win. And it's hard It's hard to do that with some of the, like, like I mean, the Bama one, like, they weren't, they were not what they were, or what they are under Saban at that point. And going on the road and beating Georgia, like, in that environment with, like, with all that talent, that's why I threw that in there. I mean, the Georgia one in 2012 against Florida, getting, like, the monkey off your back because of how many times they've been beaten by Florida. But it's hard to do it for some of these programs because they're so tradition-rich anyway. What about, um, too, too with Bama, the Tebow crying game? I mean, that, that to yeah. me is like a changing, huge changing of the guard. Like, we are here. I mean, obviously, the rest is history after that. But that game, to me, is like, I remember that. That's it's a like, a, oh, we are really changing hands in the SEC right now. Well, I mean, and you blew the, the lead in the fourth quarter of the year before in the same building. Right. And, and going into that game, it, what sucked about that, because we didn't have the playoff, it was like, we were, t- we're 12-0. and we have one of the best teams I've seen us ever have. And, oh, my God, we're going to run into this buzzsaw with Tebow and just talent, Percy Harvin talent everywhere. And if they lose, <laughs> they're, like, they're out. Um, that's, that's a really good one. Ole Miss beating Bama 2014-2015. Dynasty's dead. Yeah, that was, yes, exactly right. So Auburn, I had a different one than you. And I'll say this for Gus. The 2013 A&M game on the road against Manziel – that was a game I thought they had no business winning. I think they had just come off a loss to maybe LSU, and they, they probably should have lost this game and didn't. They hung on on the road, and then that whole magical season was still intact. And you have, like, the, the prayer Jordan Hare and the kick six, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then also the SEC championship game against Mizzou because Mizzou was a top-five team at the time, one of the best defenses in the country, and Trey Mason ran for days. What was the – was Mizzou favored to win that game? No, Auburn was favored, I want to say, by like three and a half, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then Mizzou would be, this was, this is perfect. Uh, the 2013 Georgia game in Athens, it was like a 12 o'clock start. That was, I mean, like for Mizzou to come like into the SEC, and you remember the 2012 game in Mizzou when they had like the Georgia players, you know, celebrating the, in the end zones with like grown man football and all that kind of stuff. So that was pretty big. And I threw the Vandy Tennessee game on there for Vandy because that's where Derek Mason was dancing. Oh yeah, that is a classic Derek Mason dancing game that as well. Okay, all right, I'll give you a little bit of a. I'll let you off hook a little bit for the Vandy one. Um, what, those are really what's good. What's a better one? I'm saying I don't know if there is one that. Well, you could probably point to like. Here's the thing: James Franklin beat one ranked team while he was at Vandy. Like Vandy had those great historic seasons, but like, what was the game that you looked at? During that run, I'd have to go back and, and First find off, it just because they never had great historic seasons. They had historic seasons for Vanderbilt, right? That's that's what I mean. It's all it's all in perspective. Historic yeah. seasons for Vanderbilt, where 
you know, you're getting to this level that you didn't think you could get to. But I don't know. That's what's tough is that you don't have this game where, like, you know, South Carolina beating Bama, where all of a sudden, like, that's that's your get onto the national stage type game. Well, I'm saying you know the 2016 I mean? Tennessee team was that ranked in the top 10 at one point. That's with Josh Dobbs when they, I think they were undefeated like through mid October. They had that Hail Mary against Georgia. They had that like crazy loss at, like, at A&M. And but, they lost three in a row, but, yeah. Yeah, but Vandy beating Tennessee that year, they've now beat them three years in a row. Yeah, so true. It's like something yeah. you can hang your head on. Um, true. The last one I'm going to say before you go into this 2010 game, the runner-up for <laughs> South Carolina was the 2012 Georgia game. I think it was oh, at yeah. South Carolina where they won 35-7. to I just remember being drunk at a bar in Atlanta and, and screaming at the top of my lungs. Uh I said it's average at best to be a Georgia Bulldog. And some stranger turned around and threw a full PBR at my head. Oh, that's a waste of a good PBR. I deserved it. Yeah, he probably did. But those are good. Those are all really good. Um, I went a little bit of a different direction. 2010, the comeback. Um, what the hell? Sorry. I, that, that, that is the game, though, where if you're an Auburn fan thinking – Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Something's going to happen to spoil this this magical season that we're having. And then, yeah, of they course, got, they fall they behind early. They, well, I'm saying before that, though, like, you know, something's always going to get in your way of, of winning that title. Like, something is, like cheating. you know, even, well, I'm saying, like, even, like, Ronnie and Cadillac, like, they, those guys didn't get a chance to play for a national title, so to speak. And there's something that's just going to get in the way. I, I don't know if, like, Auburn fans were just waiting for it to end. I, I'd have to go back and, like, really look because obviously Bama had already lost a couple games to that point but you'd have to go back and find like what the pregame conversation was in terms of like the line and like our Auburn fans Bama just was expecting this yeah Bama probably was they were a nine but, and a half point favorite and then they jump out to the early lead and Auburn's like mm, okay no Cam Cam Newton's still pretty good and we're not done doing this thing yet so that's like a game where expectations were were exceeded for what you thought your program could probably do um 2012, the Manziel game against Bama. That's another one What's that. Wrong with you, I'm not. Wrong. Sorry. Well, that's the thing is like a lot of these games are going to be against Bama because if you think your program has a ceiling, and if Bama is this thing that is way above your ceiling, that's just unapproachable, peak Saban, all that stuff. You know, A&M having this this year in a new conference where you know you beat uh, the team that you know eventually got to uh, eventually got to play for a national championship. That's still like such a loud statement. So. That, that, to me, is always going to be a game that stands out. Manziel's numbers weren't that good in that game, but some of the plays that he made were obviously stunning A&M against the defense. He was, was the best team against. in the country at the end of that year. There was, nobody in the, there was no other team in the country that was going to beat A&M. Do you remember what they did to Oklahoma in the uh, Cotton Bowl? Didn't treat him very nicely. No. It was, it was crazy. That was good. All right. I thought you were going to go in more in depth on that. Well, no. I mean, so the other thing I would say for A&M, but it's kind of stupid because it's under Sumlin. It's under 2014, which most of those seasons under Sumlin ended up being disappointing once you got to November. But the 2014 game at South Carolina where Carolina's a top 10 team, it's the first game of the year, national television. I think it's like a Thursday night, and Kenny Hill goes off for like 400 yards. Oh, Kenny Trill. Kenny Trill. Um, yeah, I, I think A&M has had like a couple of those moments, but it's tough. It's tough when when we're most of the games that we're talking about, you know, eventually led to Kevin Sumlin, right? Like ultimately getting fired. So, uh, 2014, you already did the uh, Ole Miss Bama. Sorry, I really didn't mean to do just Bama games. And then, um, yeah, like I said earlier, Kentucky, Florida. Those are those are a lot of a lot of games though that I think 
fans hopefully would want to look back yeah. on and they would want to they would want to appreciate. So that is the perfect segue into our conversation that we had with Steven Garcia. A little so something that um, we are going to be doing. Something that we we kind of like dipped our toe in the water a little bit with with Steven doing this and reliving the 2010 game against Bama. We are going to be doing a new type of series. Um, the plan is starting next week where we look back at SEC games and we we will have a bunch of categories that we break them down into. We're going to each rewatch all of them and you know we're going to break this down. We're going to have a lot of fun with it and just take a little you know take take a little trip back in time. And this was an idea that. You know, we got from listening to something like The Ringer where they do the rewatchables. And they do it for all these classic movies and stuff. And we're like, you know what? I brought this idea up over a year ago, guys. Well, yeah, I mean, you did. But it's also something that, like, we are going to kind of, you know, some of the formatting and stuff. We're going to come up with, obviously, our own ideas for it. But that's just a little bit of some of the the inspiration. And I I, I think it's fun. And, like, gauging... Gauging what was the reaction on Twitter yesterday after I threw out like, "Hey, I'm in the middle of rewatching 2010 Bama South Carolina. Um, these are my thoughts," and then seeing the response from South Carolina fans was awesome. So I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with this. I'm yeah. excited that we're gonna get to do this. Um, but yes, this is our and one of the other things about this. So our conversation with Stephen Garcia. Please trust me. Just stay till the end, and you will not be disappointed. Yes. Definitely, definitely stay till the end. So without further ado, here's Stephen Garcia. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. SEC fans remember this guy extremely well. It is former South Carolina quarterback Steven Garcia. Before we get into some current and historical Carolina stuff, I, I got to ask, the flow and the beard, how are they looking these days? Uh, it's good, man. Actually, uh, actually rocking a little bit of a mohawk these days. Uh, Ooh. And the, beard, the beard is as long as it's ever been, so it's kind of savage looking, but that's the way to go. We talking like Duck Dynasty long or like you know just standard no, like not, Zach Mettenberg long? Yeah, not that long. I mean, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty thick though, not too long though. All right, respect, respect. So before we take a little <laughs> stroll down memory lane, um, we, we've got a couple questions about present day South Carolina because you know a lot of people there are a lot of people who are looking at the Will Muschamp situation and they think that he's taking the program as far as he can and that his days are sort of numbered. Others believe that his big year is going to be 2020, and that's when the decisions about his future are going to be made. Where do you kind of stand on all that? I think that sounds about right. I think, uh, you know, this year they got their hands full. Obviously, I think it's one of the hardest schedules um, on paper in the entire damn league, so our uh, country. So I'm not, I'm not sure that this year is going to be exactly fair for them. You know, hopefully they can upset some people and – kind of get some momentum going for 2020 but uh yeah i think 2020 is going to be the year that he's going to have to make some noise and you know if they uh if they stick with you know six and six or you know seven and five kind of the mid-tier guys i mean i i don't know how much longer he's going to be around uh that being said i'm a huge will Muschamp fan you know every time that he come down to tampa uh for you know either the bowl games or whatever else uh recruiting um always see him and talk to him and he's he's always been cool with me and uh yeah i mean i'm, I'm a big fan of him i think he's i think he's a hell of a coach so, I mean, kind of piggybacking off that, um, I mean, first, I feel like I have to say this is, I mean, I'm, I'm a Columbia kid myself. My family lives in Lexington. My sister goes to USC. Um, I may or may not have served you before at Liberty Taproom and Grill in the Vista. So I'm, I'm excited uh, what's going on with the Gamecocks this, uh, like, you know, with, with this upcoming season. Tell me about Jake Bentley. What can we expect? He seems like it's so up and down. What can we expect from him this year? 
I mean, hopefully he lights it up. Uh, you know, it's just it, it is it is kind of tough. Uh, you know, I, I do like Jake. You know, we talk every now and then. Uh, I, I think he's he, he's got to light it up. Otherwise, these fans are going to be they're going to want somebody else in there. I think from what it sounds like, man, and I, I obviously don't live there. I live up in Tampa or down in Tampa, but from what I hear, it, it almost sounds like kind of like people are kind of tired of him and uh, want to see you know uh, some new blood in there, whether it be Helensky or carry on or you know anybody else for that matter um and just kind of see what they can do so i I mean i don't know i think he's gonna have to really light it up and i think he will uh you know he's he's a very consistent player and you know i just i hope you know he plays really well otherwise i just don't know how long he's gonna be at the helm unfortunately right i mean you can kind of relate to that too though going through that with connor shaw and you know connor shaw's the freshman and you you know what that's like and you know the ryan Helinski thing or as marler calls him helsinki you know this dynamic, can you shed some light just on like how how like how strange it kind of is probably for Bentley, but at the same time, like how he should be approaching this season? I'll tell you what, man, it's it's definitely pretty. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, obviously, Muschamp, I feel like is a little. Well, he's a lot of more different than uh, than Spurrier. Um, just a little bit. But but yeah, man, you know, it was it was tough, and you know, Bentley also hadn't hasn't had much uh, or any off the field sort of drama. So I feel like he's got a pretty pretty long uh, long leash. Uh, you know, Spurrier. I think he was just kind of tired of all the that was going on off the field, and you know, so were the fans. So you know, there's I can't really point any other fingers other than myself. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough deal, and you know, I just I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I mean, if it, if it happens, it is going to happen this year because you know he's a senior, so that would be the way to go. But I, dude, I don't know. It it is a bad uh, it's a bad situation to be in. But like that being said, man, I I think he's uh, I think he's gonna play pretty well this year. Well, Jake Bentley, I'm sure would do anything to have a moment like what you had, 2010. Oh you know, my. it's it's you know it, it's MJ against Portland in the '92 Finals. It's Steven Garcia 2010 against Bama. I mean, you you had the ultimate put your wallet away game, meaning like whenever you walk into a restaurant that day in South Carolina, like after that day in South Carolina, you're good, you know, put the wallet away. How, how often sure. do people still ask you just about that day in general? Jeez, man. I mean, it's all the time, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I was over at the St. Pete beach down here. What was it? Two, two or three weeks ago. And, you know, just kind of hanging out. My brother's the head brewer down at Mad Beach Brewing and, you know, just kind of hanging out there and having some beers. And some people come in with some Alabama hats. And, uh, you know, we just start kind of shooting the shit a little bit. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, I remember uh, I remember you back then. And, you know, it's crazy as so hell. You, you could have missed and this and that. It's just that's all they want to talk about. And, you know, I, I get it. It was it was obviously a, a hell of a game. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't feel like that was my best game I ever played, believe it or not. But What? Yeah. Well, thank God. Yeah, it's I, about time someone said it as a Bama fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I honestly don't don't feel like I played. I mean, I played pretty well, but I don't. Feel, I personally don't feel like it was the best game I ever played. Wow. <laughs> well, that's that's news to me. I mean, I you know w- we want to talk about a lot about that 2010 game just because you know, like I said, like just rewatching this, Marler has the play by play in his yeah. head still, which is. It's funny so, to kind of dig back into. But. To be fair, also, despite being from Columbia, I, I am a diehard Bama fan. The other side of the family is from Alabama. So you, you really ruined that Saturday for me, but we're going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, in rewatching this, I, I totally forgot how in the pregame broadcast, Vern and Gary didn't even know that 
whether or not you were going to be starting that day. Like Vern's first sentence about you was that you were on a short leash because you had been benched for the fumble against Auburn the previous game. Did you think all week that you were going to be starting? Like, what was that whole situation like leading up to that game? Oh yeah, no. There, I mean, the whole week of practice. Uh, you know, I talk about it all the time. You know, people say, you know, how was Furrier different that that week? And honestly, I was the most carefree and relaxed that he um, ever was. You know, in, in the four plus years that I played for him. Uh, you know, practice was relaxed. I mean, Tuesdays were usually our, our ball busting days where, you know, full pads were all hitting. You know, we, we came out there and just helmets. He's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to take it easy this week. And, you know, I, I feel like he, uh, that kind of relaxed mode really, really kind of went with my personal uh, personality, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, the whole week I did it all starting. You know, I think they told me, like, probably on the flight home from um, from uh, Auburn, you know, that, that – we should have won that game. When he pulled me out after the second fumble, yeah. I was like, dude, what, what do you want me to do, man? I mean, they freaking they punched the ball out when I was running. I, as they say, shit happened. So, you know, I was pretty pissed off about getting taken out of that game because I feel like we still could have uh, had a chance to win that game. But, yeah, that being said, that uh, I was I, there was no doubt I wasn't playing that, uh, that Alabama game. You got off to such a good start in that game, too. And the, the, second, the second touchdown where – the throwing catch that you had to Alshon, I can't remember. It was it was it Mark Barron that you it beat. It was over Mark the, Barron, yeah. Yeah, yep. and, Mark, and yep. you know, we're, just a, the perfect throwing catch. Like you basically stared into Marcel Darius's soul on that too, where he's just barreling down on you. That was the one where I think like Bama fans at least were like, "Oh my gosh, like we're we're in for a day here. Like this is not going to be easy." Could you feel <laughs> that when you made that throw, or when was that moment for you? Well, I, it, like I said, it, it kind of, kind of was going through the entire week uh, with Spurge just in his relaxed uh, state of mind, uh, kind of carefree deal. And, you know, the whole, uh, the whole warm up before the uh, game and everything, he's like, yeah, Steve, you know, just go out there and just, you know, just play your game. You know, don't, don't worry about anything. Just go out there and play your game. That, I mean, it, you can kind of hear what I'm saying. He, he almost, it almost felt like he knew we were going to get our asses handed to us. So it's kind of like, yeah, hey, just go out there and just see what happens. <laughs> well, that is news to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's the kind of the vibe that I was, that I was, you know, I was like, man, is he, is he all right? Or what? What's what's going on over there? Uh, but yeah, man, it's if if you look at that play, uh, Marcus actually misses misses his block. So Pat DeMarco picked up two guys uh, when he tried to cut one of them. So yeah, that's you know it's, it's part of the deal though. You, if you're going to play this game, you got to stay in there and and take a hit. And you know I was usually a lot heavier than a lot of the uh, a lot of the linebackers in the league, so I didn't really mind getting hit too much. <laughs> <laughs> You, I'm pretty sure you trucked somebody earlier in that drive. It was, a, I think it was Robert Lesser at safety. You just absolutely trucked him like on a, on a second or third down run. Uh, probably. I mean, there was there was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot. Of that. No, you know, Connor made me watch it. It definitely happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when I first got up, I was like, ah, you know, I was you know 210 pounds, 215, and you know I was running pretty good. And then you know I saw uh, I saw how slow I was compared to all the everybody, all the DBs and linebackers. I was like. I'm not going to run away from anybody. I might as well just put off some weight and try to, to bulldoze people. Smart. I, Smart. I've been living at that motto my whole life, especially in my <laughs> 30s. So that's good. Yep. Um, so th- this is, I thought this would be kind of like um, therapy to help me get over the loss. It's been nine years. It's not helping. But I, I do want to know, what was the game plan, man? Like y- y'all attacked Milner a decent amount, who was a freshman at the time at cornerback. But you also got Alshon in one-on-one matchups with like, you know, Kirkpatrick and the, the pass to Barron, like we said. It felt like, for the most part, there was pretty good coverage. Did y'all have something in mind that you had already decided and try to expose somebody or something in the defense, or was it just you know a great quarterback, great receiver, just out making plays? 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who Alabama has or what, uh, how old they are. I mean, they're always going to have five star guys out there, and they're always going to be, you know, potentially first round first round picks. Uh, so it didn't really matter how old they were. Um, that being said, I mean, you got you got a player like Alshon out there. Uh, anytime I, that I, I mean, that's not just the Alabama game. It's anytime that I ever played with them. If I saw any sort of one on one, that's who I'm going to. And I mean, it was. Yeah. <laughs> there's been t- plenty of times where I threw it to him, and uh, there's two guys on him, or sometimes even three. So I mean, it's he, he's that special of a uh, of a receiver. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty pretty easy to get the job done when you when you got a player like that on your uh, on the outside. That's fair. So. Maybe like the the lone um, well at the time it was it was deemed a mistake and I I've I've, I've came to your defense on this because I think you got ripped for this way too much in the broadcast by Gary Danielson but the high snap and the safety and where you just throw the ball away like early in the second half that conversation with the HBC after like he he looked irate on the sideline can you give us a little bit of insight what that conversation what was what exactly that was like with him. Uh, yeah, so the snap, not only was it high, it was hard as hell. And, uh, it's a fastball. I wasn't really looking. I wasn't really looking at it. There was, I forgot who, what, uh, what, what player was. It might have been Mark Barron, actually. I could see him out of the corner of my eye, uh, my right side. I'm actually kind of walking through it in my living room right now. I could see him in the corner of my eye on the right, <laughs> <laughs> getting ready to blitz. So I'm kind of like slowing the cadence down so he doesn't get a good jump on it. And uh, I'm kind of going through it, you know, green 88, green 88 to Hut. And, uh, I guess after the first one, you know, TJ snapped it up, and I kind of looked at it last minute. Uh, anyways, I got it, and I knew he was blitzing, so I was like, this guy picked it up. I mean, it's, it's obviously sick. So I was fortunate, fortunate enough to get a good bounce and uh, just flipped it up and threw it out of, the, out of the back of the end zone. And then, you know, I come out, and Spurs just freaking ripping me a new one. And, uh, you know, I had some choice words to uh, for him as well. And, uh, you know, <laughs> got in a little argument, and that was about it. And then after the game, uh, you know, we're sitting there watching tape, and on uh, Mondays is when we usually do that. And, He's like, yeah, you know, I just want to, I want to tell the whole team, I want to apologize in front of everybody and uh, to Garcia because that was, that was, that was the play of the day. And I, in my opinion, that was, that was, that was the play of the day. That saved the game. And I was like, man, it's Thank about you. damn time. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you outscored our entire kickers, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're right, and I think that that's that's just a sign of like how good you were that day. Like everybody remembers the 17 to 20 and just like how accurate you were and just. How comfortable! All your throws just seem so smooth. I, I gotta ask, you know, it's a three thirty game, so maybe you had lunch, you maybe had two meals before this, whatever. The breakfast that you had that day, first of all, what was it? And second of all, have you had that every single day for the rest of your life? Uh, probably the same that it, uh, that always was when we had when we had game meal. It was uh, an omelet with literally everything in it, and then uh, what else? Preach. I mean, I think that's pretty much it, man. Maybe like a, a little bit of yogurt and some oatmeal. I mean. I really don't even oh, know. What? No yeah, pomelo pig? Like, no, no, no Popeyes? Nah, nothing. No, hell no, man. Yeah, they uh, Spurry were not. There was no fried food uh, available for for anybody uh, either. That was a pregame meal before the game or uh, the night before. There was there was nothing fried. Wait, along those same lines, Marler, do you want to ask? This is a good time to ask Stephen about you know the Bojangles story. Yeah. So, so was true. it? I can't remember because I have I have like. Was it a Bojangles or a Popeyes that was right across from the fairgrounds, like right across from the stadium? No, uh, Bojangles. Yeah, I remember. I remember hearing the story about Spurrier just posting up in a golf cart out outside of the Bojangles, so nobody would go over there after practice. That was like how he tried to get people to make weight. Wait, what? 
There was some story in the, I guess like in one of like the Columbia paper was, and it was just a picture of him just posted up out front of a Bojangles on a golf cart, just making sure none of the players were going over there after practice. Oh, yeah, that no, for sure. Because um, there would be some guys that was, you know, his, his rule was he was like no fried food or anything. And some of these, some of these guys would go in there and, you know, uh, what is it called, contraband type deal and, and steal like a you know, fried chicken bowl or whatever and, uh, and put them in their travel bags. And he caught wind of that and he's like, all right, I'm going to just have to stand out there and, and watch these guys. He was. He did not play around with that. He was. He was. He was serious about that deal. Oh gosh. So I, I've I've always been curious about this, and you know everybody knows the stat. Your great bar trivia question about like who was the last SEC East quarterback to beat Saban, and it's you. And you know it's looking back, there have been seventy-seven straight non-top fifteen opponents that Bama has beat since that day. So I I, I got to imagine like you changed our math. <laughs> people are like doing the the game planning that that people do on a weekly basis where like you know even if it's kirby preparing or you know whoever it is like whatever coach it is in the sec or maybe even like you know some of the group of five schools at fcs school you've had calls come your way right of like hey how in the world did you do that that day like i imagine you, you feel those calls on a somewhat regular basis uh that's not it's not too regular, but I mean, I've definitely gotten calls over the years about, you know, what was what was the game plan and, you know, what did you do differently? I was like, dude, I didn't do anything differently at all. If anything, the rest of my entire career, it was, was different stuff. You know, Spurrier trying to micromanage everything and uh, trying to get me be a robot, and that's just, that's not who I am. That's, it's never, I'll never be that kind of guy, and uh, that's obviously the the difference of it, but but yeah, man, he, that whole week of practice, I'm telling you, he, everything was just so relaxed, and you just said, yeah, go out there and play, man. Just go play your game. So I think, you know, looking back on the, on that day, you know, we, we get the we get the national view of it. You know, we can sit here and, like, rewatch the, the game and, and all that stuff. But, you know, you get the behind-the-scenes look of everything that goes down. What's, what's maybe the best thing that, like, wasn't on the broadcast or, you know, that people just don't really know about that day that you still remember? Oh, man. Uh, probably, probably the after parties. Sure yes, <laughs> that is a follow-up question, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was all, that was. I mean, I, everybody pretty much assumes that it went a little crazy that day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's. I, I don't feel like everybody understands like what I mean when I'm telling you like how how relaxed Spurrier was that entire day and like that entire week of practice. I mean, it was just it was a, it was pretty unbelievable, and that was that was my favorite week of practice. That's for damn sure. When you say relax, you mean like, like be honest. Like was he just at practice, like just crushing Coors Originals with his shirt off? <laughs> uh, probably pre-practice. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh... Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, I, I this is actually a true story. I remember saying this after that game because I was, I was not happy as a Bama fan, um, but it was cool to see just because I have so many ties to, to Columbia and South Carolina. And, um, I mean, everyone was on cloud nine, and I remember, I remember being really upset after that last touchdown, just being like. I guess it's gonna be a good time at Sharky's tonight. So, um, but like people, um, people forget how stacked that defense was. I mean, the offense was incredible, um, and that's take you know anything away from that. But not only 2010, but also 2011. You know, with Melvin Ingram, Stephon Gilmore, Jadavian Clowney, and my personal favorite, DJ Swearinger, who's the hardest hitter I think in the history of college football. Who were you most scared of, and why was it DJ Swearinger? Uh, who was I most scared of? You said. Right, out of, out of those four, or or Clowney and Swearinger. 
Oh, man. I, honestly, I'll tell you this. Uh, Coach Spurrier didn't let Clowney um, practice against our offensive line. Uh, <laughs> he would go against, like, the, he'd go against, like, the scouting guy. No, I'm dead serious, man. Like, we go, like, after practice, or, uh, you know, we do our team period, uh, ones versus ones, and he's like, all right, Clowney, get, get out. You're done. You're done with practice. Like, he wouldn't let, because he's like, yeah, I don't want you getting, I don't want you getting Garcia hurt or, you know, all that, and, and or getting our, wow. that hurt in our tackles. I mean, he was he was that uh, that dominant player. Obviously, I mean, freaking guy, went first round overall, our first overall pick. So, yeah. and he's doing pretty well now. Um, but I, I, I'll say this, man. I mean, DJ was a hard hitter, but he cheated like hell when he was in coverage. <laughs> I, I, I loved I loved throwing against DJ. <laughs> that's a good answer. I like that a lot. Um, oh yeah, I, I would not say that to him at all. He's 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 terrifying. <laughs> um, so I know your last season, uh, 2011, didn't exactly pan out the way you or anyone hoped it would, but how proud are you even now um, having been a part of that group that not only turned around Carolina football, but you know, it was one of the most talented and dominant run in program history? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it, I mean, it still is a pretty, pretty taste in my mouth, uh, you know, the whole thing and how the career ended. I mean, it, just, it was just a bad deal. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, man, you know, that, that's, be honest that was the reason i went to south carolina it was you know spur that was his main pitch was he's like you know you can go to oklahoma or florida or you know stanford Notre. you can go any all those other schools if you want and you know be part of their tradition and their history or you can come to you know south carolina and start your own tradition and you know be part of you know history with them there is no history and i was like man that sounds pretty right. awesome so yeah it was it was pretty good pretty good sales pitch and uh you know obviously you know it didn't, didn't turn out the way that uh i wanted to and it still pisses me off even thinking about it, but you know, it, we did have a pretty good run uh, those couple of years. Yeah, I mean, so kind of going back to the recruiting thing, I didn't know this until recently, but you you had an offer from Ole Miss, which means you had to have at least one conversation with Ed Orgeron. Oh yeah, absolutely. Ole Miss was my second oh. uh, pick, man. You would have had a blast at Ole Miss, Steven. I'll tell you that right now. Um, um, uh, it's, I, it's I awesome. almost committed there uh, after my first night on my uh, visit. I was like, yep, I'm, I'm coming to Ole Miss. <laughs> so did we. Last fall we went. It's, it, nope. it, it has that effect. Uh, what's your best Coach O story? Uh, I mean, it, it, I'm trying to think. I, I wouldn't really talk a whole lot, but, uh, you know, because I'll tell you what, man. When I told him that, I was like, yeah, man, I'm, this is freaking unbelievable. I, like, I'm, I think I'm going to come here. Uh, he was, he's an honest dude, man. He's like, he goes, you know, Garcia, I'll tell you right now, man, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. And I was like, uh, what, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Jeez, that's a good, that's a good coach. Oh. I said, what, what the hell do you mean? You, you don't know how much longer you're going to be here. He's like, yeah, that's, I don't know. So after that, I was like, well, that's, that's kind of sucks. Um, so then I was like, right, well, I guess I'm going to Columbia. And I, I don't think he, I don't think he was at, uh, Ole Miss very long after that. I'm trying yeah, to think. No, he, he, uh, got the bullet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I guess not, not necessarily. I mean, Ole Miss is freaking unbelievable, man. I still tell people that. Like, it really is. <laughs> that, uh, that place is freaking wild. So we, we just got your Coach O imitation, which, you know, Marlo does a Coach O imitation as well, so we can put those side by side. See what Stephen, call him now. Your best – I've heard that you do a good Spurrier imitation. I hate to put you on the spot, but is there a go-to Spurrier imitation? And then after that, part two of that question – your best Spurrier story? Uh, yeah, I'll probably I'll have to give you the uh, the PG version of it. Um, 
No. No, no. I'm saying like one of one of the one of the PG stories, just because the other the other stuff may have to uh, may have to come out a little a later date. Um, but uh, but yeah. Today like is that later days. date, Stephen. Go for it. <laughs> it was uh, one of my first days of practice uh, going up there, and I'm walking to practice with uh, Chris Melly and, and Blake Mitchell, and I see this guy with his shirt off um, in the middle of the practice field, like doing like yoga put yoga poses and, and just just weird weird stuff going on. So I'm getting over there, and obviously it's Coach Spurrier, and I'm sitting there. We're doing our pregame, our pre-practice warm-up throws and stretches and stuff, and Spurrier's like literally six inches from me with his shirt off. And I'm sitting there looking at Blake like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, I was like, hey, Coach, what's up, man? He's like, he goes, ah, yeah, just, uh, just, just catching some waves, young Garcia. <laughs> I said, uh, what? He said, yeah, just, just give some sunshine, give some sunshine. I was like, uh, okay, man, that's, that sounds awesome. That, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. There's not a single coach I ever had growing up that I would ever want to approach me with his shirt off. Not not a single one. It, yeah. Is, it was, I mean. Uh, it was interesting, man. And, and he'd, he'd go in there in the weight room after after uh, after practice sometimes and put his his pink bandana on his uh, on his head and, and go in there and just get after it. Uh, you got to hand it to him. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an in-shape, you know, older dude. So you got to hand it to him on that end. That's oh fair. Gosh, That's fair. Photos. Um, so I mean, you do you do a lot of coaching camps and and for younger quarterbacks and stuff like that. Now, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give a kid today? Not just based off of your own experience or you know life lesson, but like just with how different the recruiting process is, you know, and and the college football world and, and, and football in general is nowadays. Oh man, it's I'll tell you what, it is night and day different. Uh, this is truthfully, this is like my first year that I've had to deal with. Uh, coaches and you know getting these guys recruited and gosh the whole deal it's been it's so much different now than it was you know when I was getting recruited um you know back then you know in 2000 you know five and six and seven I mean the coaches would come to come to you and come to your school come to practice uh come to your house the whole deal it's almost like now it's like yeah if you want to get an offer you have to come to our camp at our facility and you know fly up here drive up here whatever you got to do spend your money it's just it's freaking crazy man absolutely crazy um I mean, I had a kid who was committed to UCF, um, and he was. And Hypo was telling me, he's like, "Hey, man, this you are our guy." And we, you know, Garcia, or he's like, "Steve, man, you know, I I recruited you at Oklahoma, and you screwed me by not coming here. So, you know, you got to do me a solid and, and get Charlie to to commit here." So I was like, "Hey, man, well, I'm actually at his house right now. Why don't you tell him that yourself and give him the phone?" You know, Charlie comes back about 20 minutes later. He's like, "Yeah, man, I'm going to UCF," and you know, everybody was pretty excited for him. Uh, at about the you know the ninth hour or eleventh hour, you know he gets his mom calls me and just crying her freaking face off, and she's like, uh, yeah, they they pulled a scholarship offer, um, they're going with somebody else, and I was like, you got to be kidding me, yeah, like right before they're getting ready, getting ready to sign with them, they they pull his offer, uh, it ended up working out because now he's going to Harvard, so you know to play ball up there, it's, it's not not a bad deal, uh, but yeah, I man, it's, wow, just, it's yeah. just like that all the time, and it's it's, it's crazy as hell. So speaking of recruiting and, you know, I know that, you know, you've got some interesting recruiting stories and Urban Meyer is retired now. So we can, we can address this. He's officially retired. He's definitely totally not going to take the USC or the Notre Dame job. We can rule that out. It's not going to happen. A little birdie told me that you have some interesting recruiting stories about Urban Meyer may, may or may not have said some things to you, may not have liked something that you did. Are you able to provide any sort of context behind that? Uh, 
trying to trying to think, man. I, I don't know if he disagreed with anything that I did. Uh, he did say some some pretty interesting stuff though when uh, when I went up there for you know because it's it's not that far of a drive from Tampa, obviously. Um, so we went to a game. I forgot who they played. It might have been South Carolina actually. And I went up there with a couple of my buddies and uh, my older brother who was playing at Harvard at the time, and uh, one of his old high school uh, teammates. And uh, his high school teammate was a black dude. So we went up there, and, you know, after the game, you know, we go in there and kind of just shooting the with uh, Urban Meyer kind of in, like, the conference room. And, you know, he's sitting there talking, and uh, all of a sudden he's like, you know, we're just kind of chit-chatting. And all of a sudden he goes, all right, Steve, I'm going to say something right now. And, I, I'm, you know, this may offend some people. And, you know, my brother's, my brother's old teammate was the only black guy in the room. So I'm like, what the hell is this guy about to say? He's like, yeah, Steven, this is, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be offensive to some people. And I was like, oh God, I thought he was, about, I thought he was about to say some, some racial stuff or something. And uh, he kind of just looks at me and he goes, he goes, you got to stop being such a <laughs> and just commit to Florida. And I, looked at, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, look, I looked at him. Right, and I can like, we go uh, back to the part about your brother playing at Harvard? Yeah, I had two, oh I had two brothers that played at Harvard. Oh my gosh! Wait, so that was that was Irvin's pitch. Like Irvin's sell to you was, you know, Man. holy yeah. cow! And he could not have said that to Tebow. No way. Oh no, no, yeah. There's no way he said that. And you know, it was, I kind of looked at him. Everybody just kind of looked at me with their jaws on the floor, like, "What are you going to do? Or what are you going to say?" And I just looked at Irvin, like dead in the eye. I was like, "Excuse me, what?" Right. What the hell is that? What? What? What's going on, man? Like, no, man, I'm not coming here. Are you shitting me? Holy uh, cow! I'm sure he doesn't remember that now. No. Yeah. He did. come on. He, we we know Urban's memory is. is I would have loved to see like a team with you and Tebow on it though. That would have been awesome. Ooh. Uh. That yeah. That was fun. it. Was interesting, man. I, I'll tell you what. Uh, I I do like I like uh, Tebow, man. I, he catches a lot of hell from from everybody, but uh, he's he's a good dude. Like he's. Great I know idea. he preaches it, but he but he also he you know he talks the thought, but he walks the walk as well. I mean, he's he's like a generally like a nice guy. So I will I will say that. Yeah, yeah. Tebow is a, a good friend, dear friend of the podcast. Yeah, I, I don't know how I would have uh, would have paired with him as a teammate, but uh, it might have been an interesting <laughs> quarterback room. Right. Yeah, trying to trying to get oh, me to do all the religious stuff, man. I, that's that's not my uh, that's not my deal. <laughs> You guys would have been a great sitcom, I think. I think everybody would have yeah. watched that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right, last question before we get to Family Feud here. So, this year, and the reason that we're, one of the reasons that we're kind of revisiting going down memory lane, you know, dealing with the, the old wound for Marler is because, you know, obviously Bama goes to South Carolina this year. Every, you know, I'm, I'm telling you right now, like, your phone is going to be blowing up nonstop leading up to that game, as I'm sure you I already mean. know. <laughs> you know, I assume that, you know, even though South Carolina, like, things didn't necessarily end the way that you wanted, you didn't have, like, this, this send-off, that this moment where you could just kind of, you know, fade off into the sunset and do what a lot of, you know, multi-year starting quarterbacks do. They've got to have you there, like, as an honorary captain for this game or, like, flipping the coin, something, right? Uh, yeah, so I guess um, Justin King, who actually used to work with SDS, yeah, uh, yeah so he, right. he texted me the other day, and he's like, hey, man, um, are you going to be coming up to the the Bama game? I was like, uh, I mean, that's because I go up there. I try to make it at least one game a year, um, and I didn't make it last year because I was coaching a high school down here. Um, so I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go up there for. I'll probably go up there the whole week and just kind of see what uh see what happens. Um, but yeah, I saw that the uh, the the 
there's beer sales in SEC stadiums now. Do you, is that is that happening in go. Columbia too? Or what? Perfect segue. That's yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, you you make that happen. You put in the good word and say, all right, you know, I'm gonna. I'll get some business. I'll get some. I'll bring some some buddies, and uh, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to want to do that if they know that Stephen Garcia and a few of his buddies are going to, you know, come and make it worth their while. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. Anyways, so Justin asked me if I wanted to do like the uh, little gamecock, like I don't know, chant or whatever it's called before the game. So I'll probably uh, I'll probably end up doing that and see what happens, man. I think it. Uh, I think it should be fun. You know. I, I, I'm not sure if the outcome is going to be the same as it was in 2010, but you never know. Steven, I swear to God, if you suit up in that game, I'm going to be <laughs> real upset. <laughs> I, may try, I may try to sneak a little uniform on or something. <laughs> I can't relive it again. <laughs> no, we'll get you out of here with a family feud. We do this uh, with every interview. Uh, I've been, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we do 10 to 12 questions, just rapid fire. You say the first thing that comes to your, your head, um, and then we add up all the scores, and you might win a prize at the end. We will see. Are you ready? Yeah. Connor, put two minutes on the clock. Here we go. Favorite bar or restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina? Other than my house, uh, I'll say Village Idiot. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Good pizza there. Um, okay, worst SEC fan base? Uh, Tennessee was pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Make sure we get a sound clip of that, because I agree. That's good. Who's the hottest Disney princess? The hottest what? Disney princess. Disney princess, man. That's a, that's a weird-ass question. That's not a weird uh, question. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now's where uh, we cross the line. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe po- Pocahontas, maybe? How about that? Oh, that the counts. answer was Jasmine. I mean, well, it's, that's close. That's close. Uh, if you were a character on The Office, who would you be? Oh man, I, I love that damn show. I'd probably say uh, James Spader. I think he's. I think he's hilarious in that show. Really, Robert California? Oh no, oh, you no, and Connor no, are not no, going to get no, along. Man. What's your favorite episode? Uh, the favorite one, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, I watched it last night. It was the one where it was like, early as hell. It was. It'd probably be illegal to show it now. Uh, the one where Dwight was uh, trying to find out who all the gay people were in the office. <laughs> yes, the gaydar. Yeah, I'm gaydar. Right oh, that's classic. I, Jim I was absolutely by in tears online. watching that. I was in tears watching that last night. <laughs> that is good. Um, okay, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, let's see here. It, true or false? True or false? Columbia, South Carolina is the hottest place on earth. 100% accurate. Yes. I think that's the only reason Bama lost that day is because you had him on that sideline in the sun the whole time. Just saying. <laughs> um, true or false, dinner party from the office is overrated. Dinner party from the office? Like that, that episode. That, man, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't remember that. Boom. So that's a yes. That's, that's a lot of points there. All right. Um, five points or the Vista? Uh, five points. Okay. All right. Describe Steve Spurrier in one word. Um, there's so many words I could use right now. Uh, I'll just say competitor. I'll say competitor. That's that's a pretty good one. Okay, I like that. Um, Toughest opponent you ever played against? Sorry, what? Toughest opponent you ever played against? Oh, uh, 2009 Alabama. Oh, yeah. 
See, we should have just talked about that, Connor. No, that no, no. Episode. 2010 is more memorable. Nobody, nobody remembers 2009 where you know they they run the Wildcat and and it, Mark Ingram launches his Heisman campaign. Nobody needs to know about the, that. The clock's ticking. Yep. The clock's ticking. <laughs> you, you have a very high score right here. What's the best SEC campus and or co-eds? Ole Miss. Yep, hands Orchid, down. Orchid, Bucket list concert you want to go to? Bucket list concert, man. I, I'm not a huge concert guy. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really have an answer for that, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, what's your go-to tailgating drink? After after shotgun and a few beers, probably go, uh, probably go vodka, vodka lemonade or vodka sweet tea, maybe like an Arnold Palmer or something. It's an absolute Ooh, legend. Absolute legend. Last last question: If USC were a beer or a alcoholic drink, what would they be? Oh uh, man, I'd say I'd say a light lager, maybe like a uh, like a Bud Light or <laughs> maybe like a Budweiser. Okay. All right, you can consume a lot of that. Okay. Oh, that's fine. Not, not too heavy. Not going to annoy you necessarily. I, I'm I'm good with that. You ride a good buzz with that. That's that's totally fine. Winning and boozing. <laughs> Steven Garcia, we we need to bring you back on for winning yeah. and boozing. That's that's a must. So we'll we'll get back at you uh, in a few months here. Maybe when the season starts, we will not. I promise. I will I will not bother you during that week because I know you're going to be very very busy uh, with we might all be things. In Columbia, Bama, but ooh, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, Maybe we'll bother you over there. Yeah, it's going to be. It's gonna we be discussed a, pretty, a little uh, tour of the town, going to the best best uh, night spots. So, dude, I'm I'm hundred percent in on that. I'll there be at go. the Popeyes. <laughs> all right steven we we do appreciate you coming on going down memory lane with us uh like i said we'll do this again real soon and uh avoid urban meyer <laughs> absolutely man i appreciate it marler i i really do like i i sincerely as somebody who has had to relive like bad sports memories like the bartman game or something like that i know how painful it is all jokes aside, I hope that wasn't too bad for you. No, I mean, like, it. honestly, the Canback game, well, liquor got me through that game. Um, the Ole Miss game, like, back-to-back years probably bothered me more than anything because that's the team I feel like you're supposed to be. But it, it, looking back on it now that I'm an adult and I can be somewhat mature, it is cool because, like, this is a program defining, like, when like, they will always remember. Everyone deserves to be happy. It was fun talking about this, too, in some of the yeah. conversations that we've been able to have because – you know, like I said, I didn't I didn't grow up with a lot of this. So you hear some of the conversation and, you know, everybody who watches college football consumes certain things. But I didn't consume the SEC then the way that I do now. So like Connor got himself in trouble this. with this one because he opened up a whole can of worms like I don't, a, a side of me. I don't know if he wants to see. I thought I was going to see it in the SEC championship last year against Georgia. It was close. I mean, so close. the stuff about this is like I just remember this game in particular. That's that's why I was so excited about this series is because. I don't. I don't want it to be one of these things like we only talk about like big wins that Bama had or like you know or even the losses like you know try to figure out as like many of these big games as possible. I'll tell you what, real quick, a Florida one ninety eight when they beat. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Tennessee beat Florida ninety eight. Never mind. Dang it. Way too soon for Florida. Cut that. Um, no, but it's it's cool because like you're saying, like everyone remembers like where they were, what was going on, and and you know if there's a if there's a win attached to it, it's a fond memory. Um, yeah. But this was cool because I've I've said before like. This, Steven Garcia was and probably always will be my favorite non-Bama SEC player. That that urban story, man. That is wow. Um, that is all time. I, I was we were talking about this off air. 
I was on the edge of my seat as he was building up to that. I was like, oh my gosh, what is Steven Garcia about to say right I now? Don't really get me wrong. Worried. I was I was terrified. And then I I like I very briefly went to the place where I'm like, oh my gosh, Steven Garcia is about to make national headlines on our podcast. Urban's gonna have to respond to claims that he's a racist. Yeah. But thankfully, thankfully that was not said. And it felt instead like a, something else was a said. Terrible Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with a crazy uncle there for a second. It was it that was a, that was a good story though. I mean, no, it was great. Yeah, he, I mean, he's just a straight shooter. Um, I think, like, you know, talking about this game, I've said to you, like, what I remember most about it was, it, like, I think my memory of it was a little bit distorted once I went back and, and rewatched it because I thought we just got blown out. We were never in it. All this kind of Bama was in it in the second half. It it's, looked like Bama was going to come back. I, so I remember, like, the two games prior to this, they played Arkansas on the road with Ryan Mount and all that talent. They were a top 10 team. They had to come back, with, like, less than three minutes ago. The week after was the rematch, and they, they did the primetime game early for Florida instead of doing, like, Bama LSU later in the season. And I, I went, and it was awesome. We had a great time. They won, like, 31-6. to six. I wasn't worried about this at all. And I remember I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to stay at home where no one can hear me yelling. I'm going to go up to the Bama bar down the street, Smith's Old Bar. Walked in, and everyone, like, people I was with were, like, just trying to have a casual good time, which is not what I do during a game. No. And it got to be like 14 to 3. I was pissed, left, like threw down some cash, drove home because I lived like two miles from this, this place. By the time I walked in, it was 21 to 3. It was bad. I, but it's, I, I forgot like how many chances they had to win it. And I also forgot how good South Carolina's defense was. They really were. And, and I think that as you look, it's I, what, what we want to do with this series. Because anybody, and I've done this before, like, you know, for stories that I do, like, I'll usually try and find, like, a 20-minute or thing on YouTube where I can pretty much, like, fast-forward through, where somebody's already cut out, like, pretty much yeah. everything between the plays. But I actually want to rewatch. I, I rewatched like, the whole two-hour, 20-minute version of this because I wanted to hear the stuff that they were saying on the broadcast. I wanted to get a true feel for how the crowd was and all that. Yeah. And it just paints such a picture. And you can have... You know, you even like you remember these games so so well, and you could cite like what who missed the block on this play, like you know what the third touchdown was in this game, like all these different things, and it's fun, like because obviously like don't have that type of memory just watching this more right. as like a casual person. But, you're a healthy person, <laughs> but but that's what we're gonna try and do. So I'm hoping that people are gonna like tap into their you know some of the the best memories of their lives, and maybe. Yeah. Maybe, you know, some of the more painful ones, but we can revisit it in, like, a way that's going to entertain you. That's that's what we want to do because, We're just trying to be get honest, through this offseason together, We're trying guys. to get through the offseason together. We're all trying to do this together. Like, we could just recycle the same takes all you want, but, like, we want to do, like I said earlier, we want to do something a little bit different, and hopefully you all will enjoy that. It, so. is, it is a problem, I think, on my own end, though, that I'll say, like, even re-watching it, I'm like, okay, how did we not win this game? McElroy played well, upset. too. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that team was built to come from behind, but um, the pass to, to Alshon, I've, I've just went on and on about this with you. Because it wasn't like he, they had bad coverage. The one-handed one where he made, that was like the dagger, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That was insane. Um, yeah, as Gary Danielson said on the broadcast, Alshon Jeffrey is probably the best receiver you've never heard of. Eh, well, we've heard of him now. It was just, it was cool to see somebody like Spurrier, who was like an all-time great, but, you know, we kind of thought it was like maybe past his prime going up against Saban and, and what we thought was going to be just an untouchable team. I mean, you could argue they had the most talent out of any of the Bama teams since he's been there. Unbelievably loaded. Crazy. And, and the fact that he was able just to, you know, X's and O's just pick them apart, even though they had less yardage. 
looking back, obviously everybody talks about Trent Richardson as a bust, but I looked back on some of some of the if you just watch his kickoff returns in that game, I'm not saying that that was going to show you that he was a bust. What? So, but oh my gosh, what in the world was he thinking on like like four of those where you're just he's in the middle of the end zone, he takes out to like the ten. How did Saban not bench him at that point? Well, Connor, when you, uh, as a junior in high school, won the silver medal in the 100-meter dash and the powerlifting competition in the entire state of Florida, you got some confidence. It's an actual fact. A little bit too much. My, too my much. actual notes in here say, like, I forgot how great Trent Richardson was as a running back. In this game? Yes. I mean, like, I don't think the stats did anything for him. I, yeah, I watched, the, I watched the hurry-up thing. Like, the, the, I sped through it. Oh, okay. I mean, they only um, had him and Ingram had 16 combined carries for 64 yards. We didn't talk about it with uh, with Stephen Garcia, but um, Marcus Lattimore, man, so like, gosh, the way that he just he he did some DeAndre Swift things back, like obviously before Swift did them. Lattimore where he just was better puts, than Swift. Oh yeah, he was, and where he just puts his foot in the ground and like just devastates the defense. Like I had a couple moments. Yeah, I had a couple moments watching that game where I'm watching that game like by myself. And the moments that made me like go like, oh my god, yeah. was was a Lattimore cut or something like that. They're just like, man, if this guy had just been able to stay healthy, oh, he had, he had so much such fun. a like a unique trait about him that like you see like in the great running backs like Herschel and Bo. And I'm not saying he's like on that level per se, but but I think a lot of South Carolina fans because of the the what if they, yeah. they they view him in such high regard and like I get it. Yeah, I mean, well, like he was he was just. When he ran, it was like he was just gliding, and like no one ever got a clean hit on him. It seemed like, like I know how his career ended and everything like that, but but also you know what I forgot about was a lot of those guys like Lattimore. I didn't think we were gonna get at Bama, but Stephon Gilmore, a couple of those guys were like came down to Bama and South Carolina as like their final choices like in recruiting, and, and I, I played a huge part in that game. A really good job of outdoing Saban. Let's get to fourth and wrong. Fine. Uh, okay, so we've got four questions for fourth and wrong. We're going to move on from my, my terrible, terrible PTSD. Um, guys, I'm going to say it. You guys didn't do a great job this week. Whoa. With these, yeah, that's right. Bobby Burchins, I don't even know what you were talking about. We're going we're gonna to open with your question, though. What's the weirdest thing you've ever noticed that everyone does? Example, literally everyone makes laser beam or machine gun noises when they're thinking, especially when on the phone. Huh? What? No, I like Bobby Burchett a lot. I've known him since we were in high school together. I don't make a lot of laser beam noises. I don't think I do. What's like What's like a stereotype or cliche thing that you do hate, though? That everybody does? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I really don't know. Like what's, I think it's weird that people have, people look weird without eyebrows. Who, I know that's one different, totally different. Josh Dobbs? Whoa, whoa. Um... No, I, I think that that's, like, when people don't have eyebrows, it looks so weird, but eyebrows themselves are kind of weird alone. I don't know. Oh, man. Okay. that was. I went way off the deep end with that yeah. one. Um, I'll tell you what. I don't like what our producer, Will, says bet. I don't even know what he's talking about. I don't know what that means. No cap? What the hell I've does that mean? I've never felt so old when he says bet. And I'm like, does that just mean okay? Have yeah. We, have we ruled out okay, saying okay? Every single time he says something like that, there's another pleat that unfolds in my khakis. I always think that when he says bet, he's going to throw out a wager. I wish, yeah. That would be exciting. I, Uncle so Chris would love that. My least favorite thing that people do, I, I hate like cliche sayings like, how you doing, man? Hey, if I was doing any better, there'd be two of me. What does that mean? And I really hate when you're walking down a hallway and you make that awkward, it's like a gym face from the office. 
mm-hmm. where you like raise your eyebrows like like I don't want to talk to you but I'm going to give like the most minimal amount of effort possible to say hello yeah okay I can see that um I would say, yeah, just the like human interaction in general. There's a lot with those. You can just do like a lot of the things that people do at airports in general oh, are just God. awful. If you wear, if you don't wear sleeves, if you, if you have a sleeveless shirt on at the airport, you are a garbage person. I, these people, it's mind blowing. A lot of it in Orlando. Whoa, probably make laser beam noises too. Um, okay, next personal. question: As a newly engaged man preparing for a September wedding, that's over one there. What's the one thing you miss the most from bachelor life? I'm going to let you I, take the lead on this. I miss being able to sit down and watch three and a half hour baseball games. Oof. Is that bad? Or just three and a half hour sporting events in general. Like, So, for example, one thing that you're going to notice, and I don't know if you live with your fiance yet or anything like that, but as yeah. soon as that, that move is made and you're like, it's game six of the NBA Finals. I want to watch this. And I really would like to watch it. If I was by myself, I'd be watching this start to finish. And you have to be like, no, nah, we're going to watch like four episodes of House Hunters. We're going to flip on The Office here. Right. Hey, um, there's like five minutes left of this game. You mind if I flip it on? <sighs> I guess. And I'm not saying that because I know my, my wife is, you know, bless her heart. She is not alone in having that school of thought. Yeah. I get it. But that's the thing that I miss the most is there's always live sports on. A lot of times that I just like don't end up getting to watch because I'm not going to put somebody else through that because I'm actually thinking about what they want to do and I don't force them to watch that. It's different on Saturdays. Saturdays is totally different because it is, it is my job. I need to watch 16 hours of football and that is just life. And she has accepted that begrudgingly somewhat, but you know, um, that's the one thing though that I probably miss the most. Um, first off, this was, this was, uh, asked by Ryan Lewis on Twitter. Second Ooh, off, Ryan Lewis from, feel uh, very, very attacked by you on this. Um, I mean, I will say this is obviously, I live with Allie. You think I could afford any of this cool stuff in this condo? You got to run this condo. Yeah. I used to live in like a basement apart in the Highlands. Not very cool, sir. Um, what I miss most, I would say going out more like with my friends, just being irresponsible, but I like... I honestly don't miss that that much. I, I miss I miss being out, being able to stay up till whatever hour and sleep in till whatever hour. Because, oh, that's a good one. I mean, Allie's like the absolute best things ever happened to me. She's great. I'm not just saying that. And she loves sports. Like she's she watches all of it. Like she's fantastic and supportive with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I miss sleeping in. Ooh, along those same lines, having a bed to yourself. Yeah, she got a queen that's size a big bed. One. What size bed do y'all have? We got a queen size, but we want to get a king when we get a house. Yeah, I had a king size bed for like 15 years, and we got, I feel like I'm sleeping in a race car bed. You had a king size bed for yourself? California king, bro. Dang. I know, it's pretty cool. Um, okay, next question from Christian Peterson. Guys, by the way, all of these questions were submitted via either Twitter or our Facebook group for the SES podcast. Make sure you guys the majority. join that. The majority of the questions were right. from our Facebook group that you should totally join. And you guys did a really good job of not arguing too much with each other this week. So props to you. Pick between John Wick and John McClane. The one you picked will help you protect will help protect you from the one you didn't pick. Have you seen John Wick? No, I haven't. But I, I knew it. it's I knew it's Keanu, so I've I did see um, Always Be My Maybe, where Keanu has like Ooh. a really, really good cameo in it. That's a good Netflix movie. If you haven't so seen heard. it yet. Check it out. Um, John McClane, because obviously I'm the world's biggest diehard fan. Boom. 
Everybody knows that. I am all in on Bruce Willis doing whatever he needs to do to walk barefoot. On glass. Um, step on glass. Like, just go from, you know, the 20-story buildings and be able to look down and know what exactly is coming and find a plan to be able to, like, you know, bust this operation. I Thanks am taking John Winslow. McClane. Yeah, I don't care if John McClane's smaller. It's not a size thing. John McClane's on my side. Why would uh, you even bring that he up? He could beat up Keanu. Because I just think of Keanu and Hardball, and that, I can't get past that. He saved those kids' lives. It was for G, baby. Way too soon. Come um, on, don't do that. So Keanu, like, you can't take him seriously at all. You can't, and then like you try to, he's like he's like really trending right now on social media. Then he it's because of like, the movie. It's because of always be my maybe. He's great in it. I think it's John Wick. Yeah, whatever. Same thing. People love John Wick. I mean, he he's like a badass in these movies, but it's not really believable. Um, that being said, I think Michael Scott was on something with with John McClane. It's like a normal cop from New York. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's just like stopping like terror plots and stuff like that, or terrorist plots. I I I don't really get it, and then it escalated really quickly in like some of those later ones too, because he was like, you know, like the thing in front of the plane and and, and Die Hard two. You haven't seen that one yet. I haven't seen that. I'm working up to it. It's a good one. Um, so I would take John Wick, uh, since he seems really dangerous. There you go. Last but not least, yesterday was the anniversary of OJ. Twenty five years. Twenty five years ago. Where were you? I was. Staying with my my aunts, I remember, and I remember like watching. I remember being very, 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 very little for the coverage, but I do remember everybody talking about how the, the chase coverage, the low speed chase, was cutting in the middle of the Knicks Rockets finals, and I was upset as a Bulls fan that the Bulls were not in it. But I didn't really process it that much. And then every time my parents would watch the trial on TV and they talk about OJ, I thought they were just talking about orange juice. Wow, you didn't pick That's up that at all. So, I was in Columbus, Georgia with my stepdad and my mom, and I was watching TGIF, as I did every Friday night. Hanging with Mr. Cooper was on, my, my biggest crush, Holly Robinson Pete, and they cut in for this damn Ford Bronco. I was not happy. Um, also, fun fact, Allie lived two miles door-to-door from the OJ murder scene. Oh, yeah, you took that really creepy picture. That's the... where it happened, yeah. I mean, apparently that's like not, you sh- shouldn't do stuff like that. But I I got really into that documentary. So the question oh, so is, good. did OJ do it? That's from Thomas O'Neill Roy on Facebook, who... He wrote the question like four times. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I'm, I'm going to be bold here. I, I'm just going to say, yeah, 100%, definitely, no doubt in my mind. That that whole thing is so incredible to watch unfold because, like you talk about, like the jury, like wanted to just go home and how they couldn't, they had to go to separate rooms, they couldn't watch TV or read magazines or anything like that. I'd lose my mind. But yeah, he definitely did it. I have no idea how this ever happened in a U.S. court of law, but pretty genius move, by the way, to not take his arthritis medicine so his his hands got bigger. So smart, so yeah. smart. Next level move by OJ. Don't but don't like the, the doctors on Twitter. It's terrifying because if you get if, if OJ starts following you, I don't know, man. He will murder you, statistically speaking. I, I just seeing that he's yeah, he's he's he he's, says got he's got some, some getting even to do. Yeah, like I I think you know you're out of prison now and you probably should be there for the rest of your life and you know Again he's throw, out of prison. Allegedly. Allegedly. Great anyway. conversation. We've yeah. got it might mean too much. We got this very, very, very shortly before we came on to this podcast, and I know you got a lot of takes on this. 
960 The Ref in Athens asked this peak off-season question. Notice we didn't do peak off-season content today. This is a peak off-season question. Would you take a non-lethal gunshot to the thigh in exchange for a UGA national title? Thoughts? I mean, as somebody that's actually been shot by a gun... Oh, it was in the ear, wasn't it? First off, have you ever been shot by a gun, Connor? Don't do that. It was shot in my arm, and it wasn't a PP gun. Um, No, I was like running, like in broad daylight. It was a drive-by shooting in downtown Atlanta. He just kept calling himself a gunshot victim. It got to me. (laughs) I was an actual gunshot victim. Um, I would say it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. As a gunshot victim yourself... You can. I don't like what you're doing right now because I, I can't imagine how you would handle getting shot by a stranger, never finding out who did it in broad daylight while you're running and been like, hey, by the way, he shot you in your arm. There's literally no way he could have been aiming for your moving arm. If he would have hit you anywhere else, something serious could have happened. I promise I'm not laughing about gun violence. I'm laughing about you're, me getting shot, which is really messed up. So the, the results of this poll 48% said yes. And 52% said no. That was as of like uh, probably like 2 o'clock before 1.30 or something like that. I don't know if the results It doesn't seem crazy. It's so close. Oh, gosh. Some of the comments. Early on, it was like over. Like I saw with 1,100 votes in, and it was 69%. Very nice. um, Said yes, that they absolutely would. Um, Well, I mean. Okay. So here's the thing. I thought about this. Before 2016, I would have taken a gunshot to the thigh, a non-lethal gunshot to the thigh, to see the Cubs win a World Series. You're going to take a gunshot to the thigh when we meet up at Media Days after <laughs> this reaction. Guns are everywhere in Alabama. I would have, I would have at that point, because I, if you've never seen a national championship with your team in your lifetime, and the Cubs, like I said, I, all my other major sports teams, they could win a national title every year, and it wouldn't compare to one Cubs World yeah. Series. Like To me, that was just... Far away, like in and and the timeline of like the timing of when it happened to like my dad had just been diagnosed with cancer. Like my grandpa was was sick. That was the last World Series he's able right. to watch. Like th- so, all that stuff like fed into it at that time. If you could have told me before the two, 2016 playoffs, like hey, you take a gunshot, you know, right to the thigh, and you'll see it. Yeah. So you know what? You Georgia think you fans, really would? You think you'd really take a gunshot? I think I can sit here today and say yes. I feel like you'd talk your talk your way out of it. I don't know. Like I have had some, I've had some low moments from 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 the Cubs disappointment, man. Like some of the lowest moments of my life. I've lived a great life to be able to say that some of the low moments of my life were because of Cubs baseball. Yeah, that's fair. And you've never been shot, so hopefully it never happens. OJ, if you're listening, we got some talking to do. Yikes! We do have two five star reviews to get to. Um, these were great. Really appreciate anybody who has not sent us a five-star review. Please make sure that you do that. If you don't even want to give us a review, that's fine. Just just give us a little five stars. Give us give us a little rating there. Yeah, it um, takes zero time, guys. Yeah, everybody's doing it. I've done it like 17 times this week. A lot Never. of burner accounts. This one, first one, is from Cameron Camp. Subject, originality. Love the podcast. I've been listening for quite a while and definitely don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. Just realized I didn't have you guys rated at five stars yet, so I had to remedy that. That being said, Marler, now that it isn't Bay's birthday, I'm going to need you to show some appreciation for my Felipe Franks, Mr. Tumnus comparison. That ish was accurate AF. Come on. Laughing, crying emoji. 
Yeah, so this uh, Cameron Camp is, I think he's in our, our Facebook group. He's hilarious. And he posted some side-by-side of Felipe Franks. I always thought it looked like Abe Lincoln. Man, this was good. Um, this Wait, is who's from, Mr. Tumnus? Am I supposed to know that? Just just the person? I'm shutting down emotionally because I got shot once. So, um, <laughs> The last one is from Drank Local Beham, which I believe we went to high school together. Because okay. he asked me that on Twitter and they never followed up. He said, this is good stuff. I like the winning and beer segment. It's not the name of it, but it's fine. Close enough. Um, please continue. Also, Urban Myers Bar should have been called the Urban Myth Poorhouse or Low Bar, where standards are never high. I like that. That's good. That's also, good. we're going to be going to Birmingham in less than a month, so hopefully we'll, we'll drink some local Birmingham beers. Very, very soon. SEC Media Days are coming up quick. Um, the plan for, for next week, like I said, we're going to be doing a oh, yeah. little bit something different. Um, the plan is, I think we're going to record that, what, on like Friday or Friday. something like that? Yeah. Friday. Okay, so we're going to revisit 2012 SEC Championship. Georgia fans, Aaron Murray, this might not be the best one to listen to, but I promise we're going to help get you through it. And if you have like some PTSD type stuff from that game, maybe this will make it a little bit better. Maybe. Maybe. No promises. Coach O, we didn't hear from you um, this podcast. Make sure, like I said, make sure you're following us on all forms of social media. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod, at C Marlar SDS, at CJ O'Gara. Coach O, are you enjoying this heat right now? Are you getting through it? Gotta be quiet. Is that a gunshot? It was a gunshot. It might mean too much. It might mean too much.